You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, what's up, guys and gals? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you'd like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. And uh, we are going to do our very best today to muscle through this show. You probably hear it in the voice, but the flu has has hit Tennessee pretty hard. So here we are. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm all uh, Tylenoled up here. So hopefully I don't say anything too too far off the cuff. And I uh, got plenty of liquids here to try to keep the uh, – the throat good and healthy so we can get through this episode. But just want to say that today's show is brought to you by Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. They were birthed out of the burden to help those in the community and congregations who've come out of a difficult past and an addictive lifestyle. Um, we're actually giving away a Paul Horning autographed jersey. Um, it's the uh, Beckett style home green autographed by the Golden Boy. Comes with a certificate of authenticity from pristineauctions.com. If you'd like to enter yourself into that contest, all you got to do is go to my Twitter page. And uh, it's at Packers underscore access. Make sure you're following the account and you'll see a tweet that's pinned at the top of the page. Just retweet that tweet. That'll enter you in the contest one time. You'll also notice that another tweet is attached to that from Ryan uh, Pack Daddy talking about Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. There's a link there that you can donate to that cause. And uh, for every $5 that you donate to that cause, we'll enter you into the contest to win the Paul Hornig jersey uh, one additional time. There's no limit on how much you can donate. Um, so, you know, obviously you, uh, you can uh, you, you say you donate 50 bucks, you're going to enter yourself into the contest uh, 10 additional times. So a really good opportunity to win a cool piece of memorabilia and also give to a great cause as well. So with that being said, let's get into the show. And like I said, you're going to hear me pause from time to time and maybe uh, get a swig of water here or coffee. Just trying to uh, try to keep things a little upbeat <laughs> and get through this. It'll be a little bit shorter of a show. And then we'll be back on Saturday. Really excited about Saturday's show because if everything goes as planned, I'm interviewing a young lady that actually worked on the Legacy documentary for Packers.com, the one that I reference all the time, the one that Cliff Crystal had a lot to do with. Kind of goes hand-in-hand with his four-volume four uh, book series there, uh, The Greatest Story in uh, in Sports. And I'm really excited to talk to her because she had kind of a unique perspective on working on the uh, the documentary and, and that type of thing. Just a really awesome human being. We had great conversations on Twitter. So I'm really looking forward to that. So that'll be a little treat on Saturday, kind of a little – a little bit of a history segment, but really kind of behind the scenes on, on how that documentary came together and, and that type of stuff. So it'd be cool. Now, on today's show, um, I'm going to try not to get negative, uh, but there are some stuff that some things that, that's come up, you know, through email from listeners, you know, talking about different players. And then we're going to kind of hit on PFF a little bit from a, a global standpoint of, OK, how are players performing this year and uh, and kind of go from there and and. The, the goal is by the end of the show to say, okay, here's where we really underperformed so far. Here's where we've overperformed or, or, you know, performed up to par and what might be some holes that no one's thinking about going into the offseason. Because, you know, after listening to Gutekunst's, uh press conference, I came away that he was a little bit, I don't know, I wouldn't say, I don't know if irritated is the right word, but he kind of come away like, 
hey, look, man, there's a lot of things up in the air in the offseason. I personally think that's a good thing. You know, I mean, to to sit here and pretend like this roster is as loaded as people say it is. And, and you know, I, we had kind of talked in the uh, Discord chat um, with the guys there from Packernet, and I think I'm in the minority, but and that's totally cool. You know, I kind of feel like everyone says with all the talent on this roster, you know, the coaches are just, you know, they're underperforming for the coaches. And I'm going, what makes them talented? Like specifically on the defensive side of the ball, we're, we're right where we were last year, a little bit behind as far as, you know, the statistics are, are concerned. You know, everybody pretends like last year we were a top five defense and it just wasn't the case, you know, and then coming in the off season, you resign everybody. And, and the talk was, oh man, this is going to be a top three, a top five defense. Um, because we got everybody back and I'm going, yeah, we've got everybody back, but like we wasn't that good last year. You know, I don't think we were horrible. And I think that there were some huge plays at opportune times, you know, like Russell Douglas's pick against the Cardinals and in other situations where players stepped up at the right key moment and, and made a big play. And, and I, I kind of feel like it could have went one way or the other, but I didn't by no stretch of the imagination feel like that defense was a dominant defense, you know, and, a lot of people are saying, well, we were better last year than this year. I think that is the case. I think I think everybody would, would pretty much agree with that, right? Well, what's the difference? I mean, the difference is Jaws in the lineup, Jai Alexander. It's like, you know, he's grading out as one of the better defenders, not, not as good as he has in the past, don't get me wrong. But I don't know, man. It's just like I feel like the defense took a step back when he stepped back in the starting lineup, and we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit. So let me get into the first – this email from a listener that kind of sparked this conversation, and then we'll kind of start chipping away at the list of things we want to cover. Um, this comes from Chuck Jaggers, and he says, uh, real quick, 23 got his – I'm going to <laughs> I'm gonna try to censor this for you guys, okay? So you you kind of put the pieces together as you, as you want. Real quick, 23 got his butt handed to him. No, I'm sorry. 23 got his money is what he's saying, okay, because there's some – Explicit is in here. That's that's kind of coded. So let me let me see here. Yeah, twenty three got his money and said, "Meh, I'll be all right." He doesn't look anything like last year. He should be getting even better. I don't like the look in his eyes compared to the previous years. Nobody is talking about Jair shutting a darn thing down. There we go. <laughs> we paid a top corner price for this so far? Question mark. We lose Rashawn um, because we paid Jair. I'll be very upset. You guys make it a great week and go pack go. So, you know, I've got to agree with the first part of this conversation, um, of this email, I should say. I've seen so many times in the past, and I talked to a good buddy, Eric, of mine. Um, his name's Eric. He, he um, He's a big Falcons fan, and we were kind of talking about the league several years ago. I remember this conversation, you know, specifically, and he does too because we, we joke about it because it's kind of rang true throughout the course of the last couple of years, it seems like when a when a player gets paid big money, I mean, I'm not talking about just a normal con contract extension. I'm talking about top three, top five at their position. They tend to drop off. That's just kind of how it happens. I mean, you've seen it with Aaron, albeit you've got the injury, which makes that such a, a uh, such an odd conversation because you can't say for certain, yes, he's dropped off, right? And he's still grading out as a top five player on offense for for the Packers. So he's he's definitely not the worst of our issues, right? Um, if anything, he's one of the obviously the better players, even with the the broken thumb and the banged up ribs and all that stuff. But you know, you got somebody like Jair Alexander, he gets the bag, right? They make him the highest paid corner in the game. And it's funny, everybody refers to Aaron Rodgers as the highest paid quarterback, but nobody refers to Jair as the highest paid corner, right? It just kind of gets you know swept to the side and. And I love Jair Alexander. I love that Matt LaFleur and them had faith in him and and they wanted him to to be kind of the corner of the future. And, and the, you know, I, I remember the old soundbite, right, from NFL Films where um, they had Coach LaFleur mocked up and he walks over to Jair Alexander. This is, I think, in year two, either year one or year two that LaFleur was here. He hugs Jair and he says, you bring that swag that you always bring, all right? Like, And that's kind of what Jair does. He's he's kind of that spark plug. He's kind of that Mr. Positive. He hasn't has been in the past, but what I've seen this year is, is kind of like what Chuck's saying, man. He doesn't have that look in his eye, and to me it looks very me-ish. Now, um, one of the downfalls of digging into the tape when we're doing our Chalk Talk segments is you you sometimes find things that you didn't want to find, right? You <laughs> you watch the game on Sunday, you see the flow of the game, and and just one time through on the telecast, even if the whether you're listening to the announcers or keeping it muted like I do the majority of the time, um, you go through the, the tape one time, and you don't pick up on certain things that otherwise you kind of wish you hadn't. 
And when I've gone back this year, what I've noticed is it's real simple, man. It's Jair's not playing within this scheme the way he's supposed to. At times, he's taking his shot and he's being aggressive, right? And the one who's taking it on the chin is, is Joe Barry. You know, everybody's fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry, fire Joe Barry. But again, when I see the big plays, and that's what defense really comes down to, guys, is, is preventing, you know, huge plays. Belichick teaches that big time, is, is preventing uh, the explosion plays is what they call them. I'm pretty sure is what he refers to them as. Plays that are uh, 20 yards or more. If you can really limit those plays, and then the second aspect is playing great red zone defense, which is why Belichick, Nick Saban, all those guys developed the, the red two defense, right, which is specifically designed uh, to change keys up in, within the red zone. And it's uh, they say it's very, very, very hard to teach, even harder to learn. And it's uh, the communication aspect is, is what's so difficult about it. But if you get a group of secondary and linebackers that can work together in that red two, it's, it's darn near, you know, uh, impenetrable basically, right? So when I look at the big plays, even let's talk about Eric Stokes. Earlier in the year, you know, you see Eric Stokes give up huge play after huge play down the field. And he's in man coverage and doesn't turn around and look at the ball and all these and that. It's And it's like, that's not on Joe Barry. That was, in my opinion, that was a good defense call. You're expecting your guy to make a play there. Your guy is in position to make the play. That's all a scheme can do, guys. All a scheme can do is put people in a position to be successful, Right. And the big argument this year has been, well, we played too far off the line of scrimmage on, you know, it'd be third and eight and we're playing 12 yards off the line of scrimmage. I'm sorry. I have a hard time believing that Barry is telling Jair Alexander, hey, listen, for, go ahead and give up the first down. Play 12 yards off the line. I'm sorry. I'm not. I, I, now, does Jai come to the line and see, you know, okay, they're they're actually in the doubles on, you know, on my side of the field. I know that I've got the flat if he crosses face. So um, I'm going to play back and try to sugar him and then jump the flat. A lot of those things may happen. And it's why sites like PFF aren't always accurate because they don't know every single key within every single defensive call at, at any particular time, right? They just kind of look at the tape and go, okay, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was his assignment. How did he play his assignment? How does it grade out on this scale, right? So um, the conversation, the reason I mentioned that, first of all, Chuck, thank you for the email, man. Um, I kind of agree on the money and, and the look in his eyes, man. He doesn't look the same. He just kind of looks like he wants to celebrate. He just wants to talk trash. And that really does, that gets to me. So now to the Rashawn Gary comment, I don't think it's going to have any effect on Rashawn Gary whatsoever. The thing that gets interesting about Rashawn Gary now is kind of like what happened with Elton Jenkins, and, and I'm hoping and praying it's it's not as significant um, as as Elton Jenkins's injury. But the fact that Rashawn Gary did get hurt, you know, now the Packers are going to be a little bit hesitant to sign him to that contract. Now they weren't hesitant signing Jair Alexander to that contract coming off his injury, right? But that's a good comparison, I think, when you look at those two players. They're obviously the two best best players at their position within 1265 Lombardi Avenue, right? Rashawn Gary is hands down the best edge edge rusher in the room. Jair is, uh, you know, supposed to be the best corner in the room. And, and I, I feel pretty confident saying he still is the better corner. He's better than Russell Douglas. I, I do feel, feel very confident saying that. So I got to kind of even tame my expectations or comments here at times. But Rashawn, the one thing Rashawn's shown is that dude is a worker. And he loves Green Bay, and he loves this team. And he's the guy, you guys remember in the preseason, going out there and, and pumping up the second string. Like, that's the kind of rah-rah I'm looking for in a player. Like, they were on the practice field. It was the number two defense on the practice field. Rashawn Gary sprinted on the field and got in everybody's face and was like, you don't give up a, don't give up a yard. I don't know exactly what he said, but it was essentially like, listen – you guys got this. He was firing them up. It was, I believe in you. We believe in you. Come on, you guys treat this like you're number ones, not, not on the backup, you know, run here. And that kind of stuff is awesome. Jair has turned into this. Let me act like I'm putting my sword in my sheath, right? Let me, uh, you know, cross my arms right in front of a receiver's face and look away from him and like talking trash. Like, yeah, I shut you down. He's talking trash to the opponent and not like, doing things that are going to pump up his team. I'm sorry. I just – I see those things, those two things very, very different, right? So within the Discord chat, the conversation got brought up. And I'm going to read a comment that I made in there and and just kind of share it with you guys. And you don't have to agree with it. It's just kind of where I'm at based off what I've seen off film right now. 
and uh, and the things that's that's kind of gotten to me. Okay, so I said uh, I've gone back now four weeks and watched the defensive snaps, and man, I just don't understand how we can blame the coaches. It's wild. For example, if you remove these three plays from the Bears game, so remember the Chicago Bears game last week. Take these three plays, guys. These three plays out of the equation. Number one, the Justin Fields 55-yard touchdown run. Why would I remove that and say it's not Barry's fault? Guys, he ran a cat blitz on a read option side. He called, he dialed up a cat blitz on the read option side. What does that mean? He had the box fairly loaded, but not like overly loaded. We still had two on the shelf showing that that uh, two on the shelf showing that uh, that Fangio style too high look, right? But what he did was last second, and Keyshawn Nixon did a great job of disguising it. He fires off the slot from the star position with a cornerback blitz. Okay, that's a cat blitz. When he fires off the edge, you can see Enigbare spill. The whole defensive line spills to the to the run side, the running back side, as they run a read option. What's a read option? In case you don't know, and I'm not trying to talk down to people, but guys, please understand. I get questions sometimes, and and there's there's some uh, certain things that people don't understand. And I, I want to take the time on this podcast to explain it. I'm not here to try to sound smart. Okay, if you want that, go to Twitter. There's plenty of people breaking down film that like to talk in code because it makes them look cool, makes them sound smart. And that. our goal is to all learn learn the game of football together as we go along, okay? So I'm not going to use all that code terminology. The cat blitz is simply a cornerback blitz out of the slot, uh, typically off of the weak side, you know, the side away from the tight end. In this case, he was covering the slot receiver. He fired from the star position, okay? As he goes in, the whole defensive line kind of spills to the read option side. Now, what's a read option? Read option is real simple. The quarterback is going to either hand the ball to the running back and as he's handing the ball to the running back, he's reading the defensive end. If the defensive end crashes in on the running back, then he's going to pull the ball out of the running back's belly, and he's going to take off on a quarterback run. Now, what they're doing in Philly that's so unique in Philadelphia right now, while they're having so much success, they're actually running RPRs, okay, which is run pass option runs, meaning you can kind of run that read option look where, okay, you're reading – let's say you're reading a backer as your key, and you go to hand the ball off to the running back, right? That's a run, right? But if you look at that linebacker and he cracks and you've got a little looky across the middle, meaning a slant or or just a quick little stick route is open, then you're going to pull the belly out of the running back's you know stomach. You're going to pull the ball out of the belly of the running back and dump it to that slant, right? That's the pass option, run-pass option. That's what an RPO is, run-pass option. What Philly's doing is they're running RPRs where same exact scenario, Snap the ball, put it in the running back's belly. You're reading the backer. Okay, if the backer if the backer drops in the coverage and you've got your bot, your head count there, you know, firing on the line of scrimmage, hand the ball to the running back. He runs right. If the linebacker crashes in on a run, pull the ball out. You can throw it to the looky. If you do it and you like the hat count on the right side, what they do in Philly is they can pull the ball out of the running back's belly, not throw the slant, and then now, um, uh. God, I can't remember his name now. They're uh, Jalen Hurts, their quarterback, can now roll right and turn it into an outside run play for the running back. Okay, it's not a read option; it's an RPR. With this specific play with Justin Fields, it was a read option, meaning the the goal is read the defensive edge. If the defensive edge snap uh, crashes in to help cover the run and seal off that backside for for the running play, he pulls the ball out of the belly and takes off upfield. Joe Barry called a cat blitz. That whole defensive line goes with the running back, right? And they have everything sealed up and covered perfectly. Justin Fields pulls the ball out of the belly and cuts up field. And what's he see? Oh, crap. I've got an unblocked defender right in my face in Keyshawn Nixon, right? Keyshawn Nixon should have made the tackle. Guys, all Joe Barry can do, it should have been a two-yard loss. But, of course, Keyshawn Nixon tries to make an arm tackle. Uh, he's draped on Justin Fields. Justin Fields breaks out. Awesome athlete Justin Fields is. Takes off upfield. Huge gain. That is not on Joe Barry. I'm sorry. That is on Keyshawn Nixon missing the tackle. It was the perfect play call. I guarantee you when they drew that up in, in film study and, and in the in the meeting rooms the previous week, I guarantee you Joe Barry said, listen, we're going to run a couple, maybe two or three cat blitzes this game. And the reason being is when they come out, and they're strong left with the slot receiver on the right side of the formation, they love the run read option to that side. Because especially in a defense where we might be playing man principles out of a zone defense, your corner is going to be backpedaling. The receiver gets a decent block, and you got Justin Fields, who's basically untouched until he gets to the second level. 
So you fire up a cat blitz, eliminates that read option threat, and you've got people rolling around, rotating in the secondary to cover up their assignments. That's a great play call. A great play call because of bad execution resulted in a 55-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. That's on Nixon. That's not on Joe Barry. Number two, the Equinemia St. Brown 56-yard pass. You guys remember that one. What happened? Jair hesitated. It's like he was looking for a little uh, a little small in route, and, and EQ gave him just a little bit of a move, nothing real subtle, right, uh, or nothing real like extreme, just very a very subtle move inside, and he just absolutely torches Jair Alexander deep. That was Jair's coverage. His number one priority was, guess what, guys, to play deep, to make sure nothing gets behind him, and he allowed EQ to get behind him for a 56-yard gain, okay? So when I went back and watched it, on the all 22, I showed you there was one little safety outlet, which should have resulted in, in kind of a, a minor gain. But for the most part, everything was covered up on the field. And, and I understand this is the Chicago Bears. This isn't a great team. Like we got to take that into consideration, too. Please don't sit here and, and pretend, you know, un, please don't misunderstand me for saying that the Packers deserve some huge huge award for going out and playing good against the Bears, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. But you can only play the team across from you on Sunday, and I'm just simply pointing out where these big plays came from. EQ, 56-yard pass there, was Jair Alexander blowing his coverage, and it's because he was getting too aggressive underneath. Now let's go back to the original comment. What are people saying online? Joe Barry, look here, third and 10, Joe Barry going to play 12 yards off the line of scrimmage, just give him a first down, Okay. Here's one situation where the corner played without, without, uh, you know, outside of the structure of the defense and gave up a huge play. So, again, 56-yard pass to EQ that set up a field goal. That, or I'm sorry, set up a touchdown, right? Which I'll mention that here in a second. That same exact, that same exact drive, but. 56-yard pass gave up was a blown coverage by Jair Alexander. So you've got a 55-yard touchdown run. Great scheme call. Bad execution by the player, 56-yard pass, blown coverage by Jair Alexander, good play call, bad execution by the player. And then the third play is Nikhil Harry, and guess what? He beats Jair Alexander again. Guys, people are picking on Jair Alexander. Let's rewind back to the Washington game. He got absolutely torched by McLaurin. With the game on the line, first of all, he gives up a touchdown uh, a touchdown catch where Jair is all over and the guy just wants the ball more than Jair Alexander. Jair gets ends up facing backwards on the ground at the end of the play. Don't know how that happens, but it does, especially with a $20 million a year cornerback. But that happened, right? That wasn't on Joe Barry. When the game's on the line, think play or not play, and you cannot design a scheme more perfectly than to get your highest paid defender in the secondary one-on-one with their best player going, my guy's going to make a play over your guy, and he didn't do it, right? Now let's go back to this game. Nikhil Harry, 49-yard pass to J- to Jair Ale- or on Jair Alexander, blown coverage. When you watch the play, everything is covered up, guys. Everything is covered up across the board. But wh- how did how did he make that play, right? How did Harry make that deep play? Harry doesn't have blazing speed, guys. He's kind of one of those, you know, he was a first-round pick by the Patriots. He ended up getting traded, I think, for a seventh-round pick, if I remember correctly, with, you know, stipulations as far as how many snaps he takes would determine the draft pick. That's neither here nor there. But he's not like this big superstar wide receiver. He cooked Ja because Ja tried to jump the underneath. Now, I don't think it was specifically an out and up, an out and go, or I'm sorry, a, a sit and go. To me, it looked like it was supposed to be a sit, and Harry realized it's not there, so he broke his route off and went deep. But Ja bit on the sit, too aggressive, got beat deep. Let's go back to the comments online. All Joe Barry does is have him play 12 yards off the line of scrimmage on third and 10, and we give up first down. And here's Ja being too aggressive underneath and getting beat over the top, 49 yards. So I just laid out for you three plays, 55-yard touchdown pass, a 56-yard pass to EQ that ended up resulting in a touchdown because that made it a first and goal, and then Harry, a 49-yard pass later on in the game. Guys, if you take those three plays out, which we would all agree are bad player execution, not scheme, not play call, not Joe Barry, then the Bears finish with 249 total yards, and we win by three scores. And keep in mind, even with those blown plays, and this is what Coach Hahn pointed out in the chat, we held them to 19 points. Like, we held an NFL team to less than 20 points. Oh, it's the Chicago Bears. Go and look what they've done to people this year at times. They're they're one of those hot and cold offenses. 
But I felt like that Justin Fields was on point with his passing, especially in the first half. Now, in the second half, throwing the two picks, he really got you know off tilt. And again, another thing, Joe Barry never makes adjustments. After that 55-yard touchdown run in the first quarter, Twitter blew up with, I guess we're just going to let him run all over us. Somebody didn't tell, you know, Barry that that we need to, you know, cover the the uh, the quarterback runs, the read options, right? The RPOs, all that. And and what did he do? After the first drive, he adjusted. We watched it on tape, guys. We talked about it on Chalk Talk. He went from, you know what, if I remember correctly, what Coach Hahn referred to as a box setup to a spill tech, right? And that that's the type of adjustments that need to take place during the game. I credit Joe Barry for that game. He made the adjustment. So I wrapped it up. I said, then the Bears finished with 249 total yards. We win by three scores. The most common argument from the Fire Barry crowd is we don't allow our corners to be more aggressive, yet two of these of those plays were as a result of Jair Alexander being too aggressive. Like you remove those three player mistakes, and it's darn near a perfect game on defense. Even the Montgomery touchdown run after the big pass play over Jair Alexander, he literally ran straight through Quay Walker to the end zone. You guys remember that? It's as soon as EQ made that catch, they end up first and go. I'm pretty sure it was the EQ catch and not the Harry. I'm almost positive, but first and go. They hand the ball to Montgomery. You get Quay Walker on the three yard line, one on one with the running back, and he gets bowled over into the end zone. How is that Joe Barry's fault? The scheme accounted for the run. You had a player, a linebacker, a first round pick in position to make a tackle, and he gets carried into the end zone. That's not on Joe Barry. I'm sorry. So I said, I'm just having a hard time blaming Barry for these. Barry literally dialed up a cat blitz on a read option side, and the player still screwed it up. So I'm not here to say Joe Barry shouldn't be fired, although I hate it when people, when we start talking that fire this guy, fire that guy, cut this guy, cut that guy. You're talking about people's lives, right? And if anybody has ever been fired from a job or had a spouse fired from a job or had a parent fired from a job, it is a sickening feeling to see the grief that they go through knowing that they've got to start over in a different spot and, and the financial ramifications that, you know, that come down on that, that family's household. And some people are rolling their eyes going, Clayton, these guys get paid millions of dollars. I get it. I understand. It's, you, you, you know, it, there's two different worlds out there. I got you. But it doesn't change the fact that these coaches, these players, man, that stuff hurts when they get fired. So when we just start loosely throwing that stuff around and we don't actually watch the tape and see what's going on, man, we got to be better as fans. So, um, again, I'm not saying that Joe Barry should come back. I, I kind of break it down into three things, guys. Scheme, coaching, and execution. The scheme is on the coaches, right? It's your job, your responsibility as a coaching staff that the reason they put in those 12, 14, 16 hour days over there at, at Lambeau in the offices when the players are out on their free time is drawing up the perfect scheme for the next game. And they'll go back with a four game saturation, watch tape. They'll watch their last two to uh, last two head to head matchups against that team. They'll try to find commonalities. They'll look at the splits. They'll look at uh, you know the opposing scheme. They'll even self scout a little bit and put together this scheme, this this play call design, whether you're on offense or or you know the defensive coordinator coming out and going, okay, we're really going to approach it from this point. We're going to take away these route combinations. We're going to take away from these uh, concepts of their offense and make them play left handed. All that goes in right. That's scheme. That's on the coaches. I don't see a scheme problem right now. Next, coaching, right? Yeah, scheme, coaching, and execution. Coaching is simply getting the players ready, communicating to those players what you need them to accomplish. That's not getting done, right? And you could tell because the players aren't executing. There's got to be a certain level of responsibility that goes into the coaches for not getting them prepared enough to execute the scheme or the game plan, right? And then, of course, execution, which that's where I find the majority of the blame this year. I see it time and time again. Guys, we are a horrible tackling team. We were a great tackling team last year, right? So what changed? What changed from last year to this year? The coaching staff didn't change, but we're quick to get rid of the coaches. Now, the easy, lazy argument is the majority of what people are saying, well, you can't fire all 53 players. you got to get rid of the coaches and start over. That's BS. That you can go through, and we're going to do it here in a minute, and look at the players who are underperforming. You can look at them and say, okay, here's where we need to make some slight changes personnel-wise, and then the coaching staff needs to be held accountable. If I'm Mark Murphy, I'm going in with Goody, and we're going in and sitting down with every one of those coaches and go, what's the problem here, guys? 
the players aren't in the room. If it's the players, say it's the players. If it's not the players, then then tell us that you be man enough to own it, and let's see if we can salvage your job and get this thing turned around, right? That's a meeting that needs to take place. But instead, what do we got? We've got a head coach, and I love Matt LaFleur, but he's walking around patting everybody on the rear end. He's tearing up at press conferences. He's tearing up in the locker room going, man, we're having fun playing ball out there, guys. Like, it's gotten too soft. Let me rewind back to year one when Matt LaFleur got there. When Matt LaFleur got there, I will never forget. It's like the second or third training camp practice. Devontae Adams, you're arguably your best, if you know, at a minimum, your second best player on the roster, fumbled in practice. They said LaFleur blew the whistle and screamed at the top of his lungs. I don't care who you are. If you do not protect the football, you will not play for me. And now let's fast forward to where we're at now. And it's just all hunky-go-dory. Everybody's all easy going and this and that. There's got to be a culture shock in that locker room. And you guys know I defend Aaron Rodgers to the end, right? I, th- I think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback, and I don't think this season is his fault. You've heard me say it. He's he's part of it, but it's not solely on his shoulders like people. Isn't it funny? Everybody was blaming Aaron Rodgers up until the, the news got released and leaked out by, by Big B on Twitter that Aaron Rodgers' thumb is actually broken, and it, and it pulled tissue away from the bone, and it like sounded like a pretty gruesome break, to be honest with you. He's somehow still playing. Before that – Everything was on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders. It was Aaron Rodgers' fault. As soon as the injury comes out, now the crowd shifts to fire Joe Barry. Isn't it funny how that works? Maybe it's not just one person's fault. Maybe it's everybody's fault. And when it's everybody's fault, it's typically a culture problem. And I'm not going to sit here and say the culture lands solely on the head coach. The head coach has got to get all the coaches together and say, look, there's got to be a change here. we got to change this from within. And you can salvage this season to, a, uh, to an extent of, listen – We know where we screwed up as coaches. And you go to the players and you say this. We've been too freaking easy, and we haven't done what we needed to do. We're taking complete accountability, but it's changing right now. That's why you don't tank, guys. Because when you tank, that carries into the next season. I'm sorry, it does. Any kind of organization, that's that's exactly how it's going to play out. Winning is a culture. Winning is a habit. So is losing. Losing is a culture. Losing is a habit. And once you start to develop that habit, that when you get that that snowball rolling in the wrong direction, this is not Madden football. You don't just tank, get your pretty little uh, higher uh, first-round pick, and then, okay, I'm going to send all my digital football players out there on the field, and they're all going to respond because he's got an 82 overall, he's got an 84 overall, he's got an 86 overall, he, he beats him in that matchup. Like, sorry, man, it's, it's not a video game. You're talking about a locker room where personalities matter, where work ethic matters, right? And you've got a chance as a coaching staff, and and the thing that they've got going for them, Mark Murphy hasn't come out and publicly said, hey, we need to shake this up in the offseason. Goody hasn't said it. They're giving them every opportunity to fix it. But it's got to be changed and changed quick. Now, like I said, I defended Aaron throughout the year. Matt LaFleur has got to go in and sit down with Aaron Rodgers one-on-one and say, listen, buddy, I've bought into this whole kumbaya setup. You know, your whole loving life and treating people right and got to lead with love and all that. But something's got to change, okay? So I'm about to strike a match in this locker room, and I'm going to start a bunch of fires, and it's going to get very, very intense. And you better keep your – I want to cuss so bad. You better keep your mouth shut and fall in line. That's the the conversation he needs to have with 12. And if if he truly does love him, like he says, you know, if you really do love me as a head coach and you appreciate that I helped you win back-to-back MVPs, then you, it, we tried it your way. It didn't work. Shut up, fall in line, and let's go to work. Let's get the culture fixed. We're probably already out of the playoffs, but we can create momentum going into next year, revamp this roster a touch. And if you want to come back and be a part of it, awesome. If you don't, okay, man, it's been great. I consider you a close friend. Appreciate everything you've done for me. Hopefully you appreciate what I've done for you. But – Playtime's over. Troy Aikman said it best on his football life. They had a soundbite of him back in the 90s. Playtime's over. I'm, he said, I'm so GD tired of babysitting. We got a head coach over there that won't do anything about it. We got position coaches that won't do anything about it. And I'm tired of being the only GD person to jump down everybody's throat. And he said, playtime is over. <laughs> like, that's the type of culture shock that needs to happen in that locker room. It really does. So, um. I didn't plan on going that deep into it, but it is what it is. As we get ready to wrap up with the Jair Alexander talk. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones 
by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Um, a tweet came out from uh, Colleen Kane. I hope I'm saying her her name correctly. Um, on Twitter, it says, Bears wide receiver Equinemia St. Brown said Packers cornerback Jair Alexander text him to apologize for the postgame comments, which included calling St. Brown, quote, a scrub. It was probably heat of the moment for him, St. Brown said. I don't take anything personal. It is what it is. That's awesome that, that EQ responded that way, right? But let's go to the comment itself. Earlier in the year, when um earlier in the year when Jair got cooked by Stefan Diggs, or maybe he didn't get cooked by Stefan Diggs, but Stefan Diggs and him were jawing in the uh in the hall or in the uh, in the tunnel coming onto the field. You guys remember that right when they played the Buffalo Bills and, and some people were going, Oh no, Diggs started it, and I'm going, Okay, it, whether Diggs started it or not, Jair's in a verbal altercation every single week. Like sooner or later we gotta look up and go, okay, maybe he needs to shut his mouth and play better, right? But after that game, he said, it don't matter. He's, he's he's just a little boy. That's what he called Stephon Diggs. I'm sorry, Stephon Diggs is a top three receiver in the game, but he's just a little boy. It sounds like Jair's, uh, you know, smelling himself a little too much, to be honest with you. So that happened, and what did Diggs say after the game? It don't matter. We got the dub. That's all I'm worried about. And he's right. Like, Ooh, that one hurts, right? So then Jair comes out. He's, he's jawing with McLaurin that whole game. He gets burned up there, right? When have you heard Jair Alexander say, I need to play better? When have you heard him say, man, that was me blowing that coverage. That wasn't on Joe Barry. That's the part that bothers me the most is you've got these players that won't step up and take accountability. It's just simply, but what do you hear behind the screens, the rumblings in the locker room that they don't like the scheme? I don't care if you like the scheme. You liked it fine last year when we won 13 games. Shut up and play the play, play your part in this defense. Like That's what it should come down to. It, dri- it drives me insane. And then, lo and behold, St. Brown burn him. And they asked him after the game, I don't care. He's just a scrub. That's what he's apologizing for. Sorry, man. He's he's reading a little too much into himself is the way I see that. So hopefully Ja gets that straightened up. I really hope that things get turned around. I like Jair Alexander. I like the energy he brings. I think that when he's at the top of his game, he's one of the best in the game. But right now he's not at that point. And when you're not at that point, you probably need to shut up. So um, all right, moving on to another tweet. Rob Domofsky talked about this. Um, he actually uh, – covered Brian Gutekunst's press conference. And you guys probably already heard Ryan, you know, did a thing where he, on his podcast, where he kind of, uh, you know, uh, played Goody's press conference and gave his his input on stuff as he went. It was an awesome podcast. I don't agree with everything Ryan said, just like he, I'm sure he hardly ever agrees with anything I say, but it was awesome how he did that podcast. And it was great getting his perspective because there was a couple times I was thinking this and he pointed out something. I'm like, that's a great point, man. I didn't look at it from that angle. That's what it's all about. But Rob Domofsky tweeted, uh, on Jordan Love, Goody said he's seen enough already to make the offseason decision on his fifth-year option, but it's always good to see him play more. Um, but they're going to play every game this year to win, even if they're eliminated from the playoffs. Now, I'm not going to get into the talk of what that actually means because, you know, Ryan kind of covered it. You can play backups and still play to win. I completely agree with that. And, that, and there's plenty of that conversation going on, so I'm, I'm not going to hit on that. I want to hit on what he said about the fifth-year option because it seems like everybody's like, oh, so they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. He didn't say that, guys. He didn't say he was picking up their fifth-year option. He said, Goody said he's seen enough already to make the offseason decision on his fifth-year option, but it's always good to see him play more. He's saying they already know what they're doing. 
And, you know, you guys have heard me talk about I would rather see them extend him if they think he's the guy. And, guys, they know if he's the guy or not. It doesn't take being put into a game on Sunday for you to determine this is the guy we want starting moving forward. That's what what happened with Aaron Rodgers. He didn't get any starting time, right? What did they do moving forward with him? They seen what they seen in practice. They seen what they seen in the offseason. The parallels are uncanny, and Aaron's pointed out that out time and time again. You know, the transition from Favre to Aaron looks so similar from Aaron to Jordan. I mean, two days apart from the exact day of the season that Jordan came in because Aaron got hurt, that Aaron came in because Brett got hurt. It was just – it was wild. And, of course, Jordan came out and played great. Aaron came out and played great too. Um, but um, here's here's the thing about the fifth-year option. It's possible for them to pick it up if Aaron does retire. If Aaron retires after the 2023 season, then it's possible for the Packers to pick up that fifth-year option because it goes into effect the 2024 season, which would be a guaranteed $20-plus million, right? Aaron retires, you're going to free up roughly $20 million in cap, probably probably closer to 16 17 but again, nobody knows the optional aspect of Aaron's contract. Anybody who says they do are lying. If they do say they do, just simply ask them, are you 100% sure, and they won't, they won't answer it, right? So let's leave that detail out for a second. So the fifth-year option, if Aaron comes back to play in 2024, I don't see how the fifth-year option is going to work, okay? And I know this is a little bit confusing, but – if they have to make a decision on the fifth-year option this offseason, okay? So going into the 2023 season, they have to already made the decision and guarantee the $20-plus million for 2024 for Jordan Love, okay? Which means they need an answer from Aaron now on whether they can pick up that fifth-year option. So when Aaron, when we go into the offseason, Aaron's going to tell him, yes, I want to come back for 2023, or no, I'm going to go ahead and retire. Or he's going to say, yes, I want to be back for 2023. And Goody's going to go, we need a commitment for 2024, Aaron because we got to make a decision on this fifth-year option. Because if he commits to coming back for 2024, and, guys, he has them hemmed up. I'm not saying the trade couldn't happen, you know, trading Aaron Rodgers away. That's definitely a possibility. You know, Mike Tomlin, 101, never say never, but never, right? <laughs> like, if if they do decide to move Aaron and absorb a huge cap hit, they've got to know ahead of time so they can pick up that fifth-year option and or work out an extension. I should say or work out an extension because you can't, from what I understand, that acts like a mini franchise tag. So you can't negotiate that fifth-year option, right? So I think we're going to get a decision this offseason. We will know if Aaron's going to walk away after 2023 if he doesn't outright retire after this season. Okay, so that's kind of how I see that. And I just want to point that out because there was a lot of people running victory laps saying, He's already made the decision on the fifth-year option. They're picking up his fifth-year option. They're picking up his fifth-year option. That is not what Gutekunst said, to the best of my knowledge. I listened to the presser once. I could have missed it, but I did not hear him say, yeah, we're picking up the fifth-year option. He said, we've seen enough already to make the offseason decision on his fifth-year option, but it's always good to see him play more. So once they're eliminated, I think Aaron goes to IR, and I think uh, Jordan comes in and plays. And uh, – Every game that he comes out and plays great, the price tag goes up, which it doesn't really matter if you're going to pick up the fifth-year option because Aaron will have retired or and or been traded. So um, I just I always want to preference, though, guys, this contract is set up so Aaron could finish as a Packer, right? Um, the only way I see him being traded is if they do some kind of restructuring of the contract, and it's going to be have to be a really, really, um, I don't know, I don't want to say oddity, but a, a very, very – um, difficult and different way of handling a contract if you're going to try to make that trade work because Aaron negotiated that contract with David Dunn, his agent, uh, to a point where he could have basically a max of three years to play in Green Bay, but he has the option to retire after each year, and it doesn't hem up the Packers completely. It was a, a great deal, I think a, a great you know agreement between management and Aaron to say, hey, look, you want to you wanna retire a Packer, we want you to retire a Packer, let's make this happen. And I'm glad they did it. So, again, what I'm what I'm hoping to see, Aaron comes back next year, announces either announces he's going to retire after that year, so they can pick up the fifth year option on Jordan and prepare to move forward. If they don't think Jordan's the guy, which that could be the case, because they said they they've seen enough, it doesn't mean they like him enough, right? Then you just let Jordan walk and you look to try to build through the draft and 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 get that next next great quarterback. Try to hit the lottery there, right? I personally like Jordan. Um, I'm leaning towards now. I think they think he's the guy, but I'm not going to sit here and BS you and pretend like I know for sure, right? 
But I want to see Aaron play as long as Aaron wants to play and play at a high level without an injury. Um, but, again, if he decides to walk away this year, then awesome, man. He got to retire as a Packer. We didn't screw it up like we did with Favre. And, you know, everything's – you know, he can walk away with dignity. Even after a bad year, if he wants to retire this year, man, hey, you know, I don't blame him. And it doesn't tarnish his legacy to me. You know, if anything, it builds it and go, man, that dude toughed it out with a broken freaking thumb on his throwing hand. There'll be fans looking back 20 years from now going, that was a tough SOB, right? Rather than people right now going, he's being selfish, he's being selfish. You know, everybody makes stupid comments in the heat of the moment. If you're married, you know that's true for sure. I've been guilty of that. But <laughs> all right, let's move on to the next thing. Um, as we get ready to wrap up, I thought we would just kind of glance over. Um, I'm really surprised the voice held up, man. This is great. Uh, this worked out good. Um Let's go over the 2022 PFF grades. And I know Ryan has already hit on some PFF grades from the Bears game and, and this and that. Um, what I wanted to do is come from a little bit different angle. And I wanted to look at the overall 2022 PFF grades. Okay. So what I wanted to look at here is let's start with offense. And let's go through and say, okay, now that we're however many games in, let's see, we are now, what, 13 games in? Yeah, 13 games in. Who's the highest graded players? And who's actually leaving in the offseason? And basically the goal here, guys, is you want to bring back your best players, right? And then you want to take the negative aspect of your roster from a grade standpoint, and you want to turn them into a positive next season. That's really the goal. You want to take everything that you were bad at this year and make it better. And it sounds so simple, but, you know, just like Steve Jobs used to say, simple can be more uh, – uh, was it simple can be complex. It can be more complex than uh, than complex itself, right? Like, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of hard work to break things down, to clean them up, to make things simple. But when you do that, like he says, you can move mountains. It's keep it simple, stupid. Michael Scott 101, right? <laughs> so um, you want to bring back your best players. You want to try to cut ties with some of the worst or find somebody that's going to light a fire under them and create a position battle in camp. Or go ahead and outright replace them and move those guys to the to the backup role. That's the thing that Belichick does so well, guys. And I've studied him for so long now. Is he's not hung up on this is a first round pick we must start him, right? I mean, you seen the quarterback battle earlier in the year with Bailey Zappi and Mac Jones. You know how many? There's not many coaches that would say, you know what, I'm going to do that. That's why I respect the Jets. What the Jets did with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson made that comment that he doesn't feel like it's the offense's fault. He said no to the answer. What did Salah do? Salah put his man I about cussed again. Whoo. Put his butt on the bench, started Mike White. They go out and get a win, right? Like uh, that stuff is very, very important, in my opinion, is simply playing the best players. Belichick's always done it. You know, everybody, when I listened to the Patriots offseason sports talk, all they talked about was uh, was J.C. Jackson, how they better get him under contract. They need to get him back. He's going to go test the market. They need to re-sign him. Guess what, guys? That was a corner. I think he got paid the most money in the league at the time, right? Why did Belichick not pay him? Because Belichick does not look at cornerback position as a position that you pay top dollar for, right? Think back to the last great corner there, Stephon Gilmore. Everybody went crazy when they let him go. Belichick's not going to pay top dollar to the cornerback position. It's why I'm so hesitant and a little bit eager to say, man, I don't know if that Jair contract was the best move or not. First-tier uh, positions for me, quarterback and left tackle on offense, Edge defender on defense. Second tier positions for me on on defense is free safety or center field, right? The guy that you're going to typically not have play in the box but play deep middle of the field, middle linebacker, and defensive tackle. Not in those orders, but they're in the same tier of importance, right? Notice how corner isn't in there. You know, I feel like you can get a good corner, two good corners to play the boundary and use the out-of-bounds as an extra defender. And if you've got your best players down the center of that seam of the field on defense, that's where you're going to get your best bang for your buck. That's just the way I look at it. So let's get into the offense here. Um, so offensively, I'm going to read off the top five players, highest graded players, right, uh, on offense so far this year. Aaron Jones, 87.8. Excellent year. David Bakhtiari, 82.1. That fires me up, and I know Box now dealing with the, uh, the long-term effects of the uh, – the appendicitis or whatever it was, had the appendix rupture and had to have the emergency surgery. That's not on Bakhtiari. The knee seems to be good now. This dude just can't catch a break. I say you shut him down for the year. Shut him down, let him rest up, come back next year. I think we all feel very confident now. And it's not just, yeah, with a full offseason, he'll be ready to go. The knee is ready to go right now. So we can check that off the list, in my opinion. So if Bach wants to come back next year and not retire, 
box good to go to come back. You can do some simple restructures and free up cap room with the way his contract is structured. So Bakhtiari, 82.1 grades out as the second best player. Number three, listen to this, guys. we got to take in consideration it's only 19 snaps. Okay, listen to me again. 19 snaps is not a large sample size. But Jordan Love, number three, is 79.0. That's exciting, man. That's exciting because we haven't seen him grade out like that in the past, right? We may have that QB of the future, and that's very, very exciting. Number four, A.J. Dillon, 77.3. That's good to see because we felt like A.J.'s had kind of a down year. He's starting to turn it on now, which is awesome. Number five, Aaron Rodgers. Broken thumb, bruised up ribs or cartilage or whatever, 76.9. Still a top five player on the Packers roster. If we get him back next year and he commits to one full year and we're ready to bridge the gap to Jordan Love, guys, we may have pulled it off. You'll have Aaron healthy to go on a championship run, and then you'll be able to bridge the gap to Jordan Love. To me, that's the best-case scenario. Um, I will mention uh, Randall Cobb at number six because he's a 75.9, and then Elton Jenkins, 72.2. He's starting to amp it up a bit. Christian Watson, 71.7. Alan Lazard, 70.0. Zach Tom, 68.0. So I feel like once you get out of the 70s, you got to treat a player as if, okay, they're underperforming unless they're a rookie, in which they contributed the first year. That's a plus for me, and you uh, you didn't come out there and absolutely stink up the joint. So on offense, of those players, who's leaving? Randall Cobb does not have a contract. That's your sixth highest uh, player, I think, if Aaron comes back and, and Randall Cobb wants to play, they'll work out a, a minimum-style deal, whether it's Aaron giving him some money under the table. I don't know. Um, I'm sure that stuff has happened in the past, especially with owners, but I don't even want to spark that topic. Um, Elton Jenkins. Um He's going to be leaving as of right now, 72.2. That's what I'm saying. When you look at that 72.2, guys, that's not worth $14 million a year, which Spotrack is saying is his fair market value. I would be willing to pay $8, $9 million a year to have Elton back. But right now, let him test the market is kind of my opinion. And then you got Alan Lazard, um, who grades out as the ninth best at 70.0. He'll be walking in free agency. So I mentioned that because those are the players that are leaving. So right there, if if let's assume there none of them are coming back, right? Then you've got Zach Tom to plug in to play for Elton Jenkins, assuming that David Bakhtiari is coming back, right, and not retiring. Then you kind of got his replacement there at left guard. Granted, Zach Tom hasn't played as well at left guard as he has left tackle, but he'll have a full offseason to train. I think we we all think at a 68.0 as a rookie, he's capable of making that happen. And it wasn't a small sample size with Zach Tom getting 261 snaps this year. So um if you do let Elton walk, I feel like you've already got his replacement. If you let Lazard and Cobb walk, I like the idea of Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs um, kind of getting that chance to be that number one and number two with Cobby playing the slot. Dobbs can fill into the slot from time to time. He can kind of be that that inside receiver when they go to that twin ace look, that type of thing. Um, so I kind of feel like if you go out and get a number one receiver, and I'm not talking about break the bank like they did for Christian Kirk down in Jacksonville. I'm talking about you get a, a, a decent number one receiver, maybe you know someone who grades out and you know still within the top 30, top 32, but you're not going to break the bank for. You know if you don't re-sign Elton Jenkins, you can go out and get that type of receiver. That's only going to help uh, Dobbs and Christian Watson, in my opinion. You know what I mean? To, the fact that. Defenses will have to account for that, especially if Aaron comes back and he's healthy and he gets back to, you know, grading out in the 80s. So um, now leaving on defense, let's talk about defense real quick. Defensive grades. Um, Defensively, um, let's see here. Number one, Rashawn Gary. Again, he's on IR, 82.9, and it really hurts losing our best player at the most important position, too. Number two, Rudy Ford is still grading out as a 79.6, and now we are up to how many snaps for Rudy? 298, I feel real comfortable saying we need to re-sign that guy and let him play safety next year. Yes, he's had bad games. We've seen it, right? But his coverage grade is an 81.6. I think that should be your deep safety. And what did I say? Most important position, second tier outside of edge, which we got Rashawn Gary. He heals up. We get him back next year, extend him to a long-term contract if indeed the knee is, is healthy. You need a safety, you need a middle linebacker, you need a defensive tackle, okay? Number three, Jair Alexander is grading out as a 77.8. So he is a top three player on defense, even through the struggles. I just wish he would be, take it a little more serious from a sense of, hey, keep your mouth shut, let's sneak up some fo- on some folks rather than getting them amped up to play their best game and just, just, just be a team player. Stop being so aggressive underneath. And that's the other thing about PFF is, you know, he may have gotten bad grades when he got burned over the top, but we don't know. Barry may have told him. Hey, look, be real aggressive on, on the underneath routes because you've got the athleticism to, to recover over the top, and it just didn't work that way. But I just want to point out that 
everything I'm seeing, it's from an execution standpoint, not a, a schematic or coaching standpoint. But Jair, 77.8. And then Devondre Campbell at a 73.70 had his first game back. I think that that'll continue to raise as he gets healthier and, and used to, uh, you know, working out of that injury. Rasul Douglas at number five at a 70.8. And then Kobe Jones, 70.7, albeit just seven snaps. Corey Ballantyne, I'm going to mention because it's uh, five snaps. And then, of course, it drops off out of the 70. So, of those guys, who's leaving? Rudy Ford. Got to get him locked up. Got to get him brought back right now, um, in my opinion. So, that's really the only player you're losing on defense, but you're probably sitting there going, yeah, but Clayton, this defense sucks. I agree, man. We got holes to fill. I'm just talking about you got to handle your players first. You got to prevent these guys from getting too far into free agency. You got to make sure you give a respectable offer if, indeed, you want to bring them back. And for me, I think Cobb would be a good bring back. Elton the right pot price of course rudy ford on defense so, moving on to special teams this is kind of unique to look at this um I, I like touching on special teams because i've learned just like every packer fan how important it is special teams number one eric wilson remember the linebacker pickup that that goody uh, found out there 91.2 special teams great let's try to get him back st strictly for special teams right isaiah mcduffie 88.6 he's under contract uh, Josiah DeGuara, 77.4. He's under contract. Patrick Taylor, 76.1. I don't know Patrick Taylor's contract uh, status. I'm not sure if they – I'm sure there's some kind of restrictions on getting him back. He'll probably be back next year if, indeed, they like him better than, than what might be out there on the market. Rasul Douglas, 75.0. Adrian Amos, 74.3. Adrian Amos is gone. Corey Ballantin, um, 71.9. Dean Lowry, 71.1. Both those guys are gone, I'm pretty sure. Jonathan Garvin, 70.1. Ladarius Hamilton, 69.1. So, as far as leaving, Eric Wilson, your best linebacker or your best special teams player. Now, granted, it's only been 139 snaps, but looking down here compared to the rest of the people on the roster, um, there's not many people that crack 200. Dallin Levitt, Tyler Davis, Isaiah McDuffie all crack 200. Uh, total snaps on special teams. So I'd like to see them lock Eric Wilson up. That gives you an, uh, an extra line, a backup linebacker, but also gives you kind of your special teams ace. And how cool is it, guys? Isaiah McDuffie, right? We, we've talked about he's our special teams ace all year long, got an 88.6 grade, 204 snaps. You go out and sign Eric Wilson, and he's grading out higher than Isaiah McDuffie. You're taking a weakness and trying to turn it into a strength. And I know special teams isn't there yet. I get it. But that's really, really uh, important to see. And you're probably thinking, well, what about Keyshawn Nixon? He's had a great year um, on special teams. He's actually, special teams-wise, his overall grade's a 53.1. But on kickoffs, it's a 82.6. That's your kick returner, man. That is your kick returner. And your, your punt return, he's only graded out as a 63.9. But um, it says punt. I'm assuming that's on punt return and, uh, and punt defense. So it's kind of hard to – to mesh those two together. But, again, just to recap, Amos is leaving in free agency. I think you let him walk. He has played absolutely horrible on defense. He's either hit a wall or he doesn't want to play for this Fangio-style defense. Dean Lowry. Um, Dean Lowry has actually played – I want to say he played decent, didn't he? No, not really. 60.1, you let him walk. If you can get him back on a minimum contract, there's some value in having him uh, play a backup role because he knows the scheme, but probably not even at that point would you bring him back. All right, so just to recap, on offense – Players leaving as of right now, Randall Cobb, Elton Jenkins, Alan Lazard. On defense, it's Rudy Ford. Uh, special teams, Eric Wilson, Amos, and Lowry of your top special teams players. So now, who's underperforming in this offense? And more specifically, people who's going to be coming back next year. I thought it was important to, uh, to talk about this. So let's take a look at it real quick, if we can get it down here. Okay, here we go. Um, lowest graded players that would be considered a starter next year. I'm going to start with tight end. Josiah DeGuar. I'm going to go in order of lowest graded starters. Okay. Josiah DeGuar has played a lot this year, right? I mean, we've seen it. He's had a, had a lot of snaps. I want to say, uh, yeah, 182 snaps. It's a pretty decent sample size. 60.1. He is our starting tight end right now. To the best of my knowledge, we have no other tight ends on the roster next year. That's a problem. Wide receiver Romeo Dobbs. Everybody's very excited about Romeo Dobbs and he's shown flashes. And I think for a late round pick, he can be a solid contributor, but we got to pump the brakes, guys. Romeo Dobbs grades out of the 60.6. He's our 17th highest graded uh, offensive player. Okay. He, as of right now, if those guys walk, if Cobb and Lazard walks, Dobbs is going to be a starter. You got a starter at a 60.6. That's a 10 point drop from the nearest one in Randall Cobb, assuming that he's not going to play slot. I'm sorry, from Alan Lazard, assuming he's not going to play slot for Randall Cobb. Right. So, got to pump the brakes on that. 
and we don't have wide receiver figured out with just the, with just Watson and Dobbs. Watson, I think, is going to be an absolute superstar. I hope Dobbs shows us something next Monday, and it's pretty cool. We're going to be in the house there in uh, Lambeau Field to watch him return from that uh, ankle injury. That's going to be really, really cool. Uh, next is center Josh Myers. Josh Myers, guys, is a 61.4. Like, that's that's nothing to – Nothing to ride home about, right? His pass blocking has been pretty good, 75.7, but run blocking 54.6, right? And, you know, I kind of feel like when I talk to Coach Hahn about him, he doesn't think he's an, he's a problem. But we did have a conversation offline. I asked him, I said, am I wrong, Coach, for thinking that left tackle isn't as important as it used to be with with how some of these zone schemes work now and, and the way they're running duo and all these other things? Like, am, am I wrong to think – I said, what's your – most important position on the offensive line. He still said left tackle. He said, I still got to say left tackle. Protecting the blind side of your quarterback is the most important. So, okay, got it. But my suggestion was going to be, do you think center is more important, right? And uh, we uh, we didn't get too far into the conversation, but Josh Myers at a 61.4, it's okay to look for somebody to replace him. And when I say replace, you don't cut him, right? He could be a solid backup. But right now it's just, it's hard for me to comprehend that being because – on offense, the top tier position is left tackle and quarterback. And when you get into the second tier, center, I feel like is probably the third most important position on the team, right? And that in that second tier, to me, it's center and then it's wide receiver, probably in the second tier. And everything else kind of falls into place. Um, so Josh Meyer, 61.4. Right guard, John Runyon, 64.6. It did amazing. We feel like these guys have played pretty good, right? They can be better. I'm not saying they're horrible, but they can be better. Pass block, 78.6. Run block, 54.8. We got one of the worst run blocking uh, offensive lines, according to PFF, in the entire National Football League. But Aaron Jones is just so freaking good, and A.J. Dillon's starting to turn it on that they they kind of you know overcompensate for it, I guess you could say. It's pretty cool. Uh, right tackle, Yash. Uh, Yash Nyman, Yash Nijman, if you want to say it like Aaron says. And I'm assuming Aaron knows how to say his buddy's name, but he could be wrong, too. He says Nijman. But – Josh Niedzman is uh, 66.5, just outside of the top 10. If you bring him back, and I think they will, I feel comfortable having him at right tackle. But, again, underperforming but returning starters will be Josiah DeGuara, Dobbs, Myers, Runyon, and Yash. So, for me, you've got three offensive linemen, one wide receiver, one tight end. I think you're going to see the Packers go heavy in offensive line again in this draft. That's just me personally, especially with Sean Ryan testing positive for PEDs and all that stuff. Let's move over to the defensive side of the box. We're going a little bit longer than I thought, but I didn't expect the voice to hold up. This is cool. Um, defensive side of the ball, my goodness, man. Darnell Savage, 46.5. you got to go out and bolster that safety spot, guys. You've got to. It's, it's not even an option. 46.5, Darnell Savage is returning. They pick up the fifth-year option. It hurts my soul, but it is what it is. Uh, number two, lowest graded defender that's going to be starting, that's starting this year, 50.9, Quay Walker. we got to start rotating linebackers in. Now, at this point, if indeed, you know, we decide, okay, once if we do get eliminated from the playoffs and you put Aaron on IR, let Quay play the year out. Let him get those snaps, see if he improves. He, he may figure it out. But I, I've all year long, you guys have heard me, and I'm a big Quay Walker fan. I want him to pan out. I love his athleticism. I love how he violently tackles when he's not missing tackles. But it, it's okay to rotate, right? It's okay to roll McDuffie in there from time to time and let Quay play more special teams and just kind of, you know what I mean, see what you got there because you don't know until you until you try, right? Um, and I feel like, you know, any of our backup linebackers could do just as good as a 50.9. I mean, that's pretty pretty bad. And, and again, I don't just take PFS grade for it and say, okay, this is the gospel. I watch the tape. I've shown you guys all year long, Quay, Quay Walker missing tackles. Like, it's it's been a liability. Now, his coverage grade has been pretty solid, 74.9. The problem is it's not as easy as hey, just sending him out there to cover somebody, you know. Uh, offenses are so unpredictable, and especially with the cyclical nature of the NFL, um, it really comes into play. Number three, Eric Stokes, 53.6. Horrible year. Horrible year. Like, you you can't just trot him out there because he's a first-round pick, and this is where Goody screwed up with Darnell Savage, and he's kind of screwing up with Quay Walker at times. Like, we got we to change up that mindset, in my opinion. Defensive lineman Chris or uh, TJ Slayton. Now, Slayton had a good game this last game, right? Let me make sure it's the right Slayton because this does get a little bit crossed up with the, the grades that do exist here. Yeah, to Daryl Slayton. Um, TJ Slayton, 59.9. 
um, 59.6. No, it's actually a 59.9. I wrote it down wrong. So it's actually a 59.9, but still, that's bad, guys. That's your backup nose tackle, and he's seen a lot of playing time. This last game, he showed flash. Let's hope he continues that, right? And I'm not saying you should sit these guys now, especially if the season may be over, but let's kind of see what we got. But if, if things continue on the path that they've started, we're going to have the same type of grades probably need to try to find you another nose tackle, especially with Jaron Reed leaving. And, uh, of course, Dean Lowry's not going to be on the roster either, most likely. Um, up next, defensive tackle, Kenny Clark, 60.0. Guys, we're stuck in Kenny Clark's contract. Like he's, he, I think he's guaranteed – I think next year the cap penalty would be $20 million if we got rid of him, right? And the overall cap hit is $23 million. So you can only free up $3 million by getting rid of him. Not that you want to, but something's got to give there, man. Kenny Clark is not playing well, right? 60.0. Edge, Preston Smith, 62.7. We chose Preston over Zadarius. I think it was because of the locker room fiasco. And, and Zadarius lost the locker room. The locker room got to the point where they didn't like Z. Z's been inconsistent this year. He's not having as great a year as you would think he is. You know, the sack numbers are up. When you look at the PFF grade, it's not that great, right? So, but again, you sign Preston Smith to that long-term contract. And it's basically a two-year deal. So after next year, we can save a significant amount of money. I think there will also be restructuring involved with that. But he has really underperformed at a 62.7. What do we say coming in this year? This year, Ryan beat the table over and over and over. He said, guys, he has a good year, a bad year, a good year, a bad year. Last year he had a good year, Preston Smith. This year, bad year. It's like clockwork. So Ryan absolutely nailed that. And then defensive line, Devontae White at a 63.0. Those are your lowest-graded players returning that I – think would see significant playing time next year. So you got a safety, a linebacker, a cornerback, two defensive linemen, an edge defender, actually three defensive linemen and an edge defender. So what am I seeing right now early on in this offseason? You want to look at offensive linemen and you want to look at defensive, interior defensive linemen. That's really what I would focus on if I'm the Packers. If you want to take the negative aspect of this roster, if you want to take the weakness of this roster, and flip, convert it into a positive, that's what you need to do. So that's pretty much it. I just wanted to hit on those things. And like I said, we went a little bit over, but luckily the voice held up here, so we're good to go. Uh, appreciate everybody for hanging out with us and uh, and uh, listening in here on uh, on your Thursday afternoon. Hope you guys have an awesome work day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go.